We're going to take our copies of God's Word this morning and open to the book of Romans, chapter 12. And as you're turning there to Romans 12, we're going to look in Romans 12 and also chapter 13 as well this morning as we hear God speak. You know, since January, we've been studying these attributes of God, studying His nature. It's 41 weeks we've been doing this. Hard to imagine that year is just zoomed by. And yet, as you and I have studied the nature of God's attributes, I mean, we've only skimmed the the surface in our knowledge of Him and our study of Him. If God was like an ocean, I mean, we've just basically taken a thimble and just and just dipped it into that ocean, that vast ocean, and and pulled up what we've studied so far. Now, if you don't know what a thimble is, just ask Grandma at lunch today, okay? And she'll explain what a thimble is, all right? If we're going to pursue God, if we're going to study Him, earnestly seek to know Him and to be known by Him, I want to make certain that I'm following after the real God, amen? I don't want my life to be chasing after some fake, some counterfeit, some misconception of who He is. So many people have this misconception of who God is and what He's like. And the problem is that they're either making their own understanding of God, contriving Him, thinking about Him with their own thoughts, rather than listening to His revelation of Himself as He reveals Himself as the one true God. But that would be sad to get the end of your life and realize, I, I was pursuing the wrong thing. I was chasing after the wrong God. I mean, we all worship something. Everyone in this room worships something. You're born to worship something. You were made for worship. And oftentimes we worship the created things rather than the Creator. But even if we do worship God, am I worshiping the true God, the real God, the God who is genuine? Because that's what life really should be all about when we're studying His attributes. We've been studying His essence, who He is and what He's like. And that's because we want to know the real God, the God who is genuine. So I want to ask you this question this morning as we'll in a moment just read these verses of Scripture. Do I have real faith pursuing the real God in the real world? Do you have that faith? Do you possess it this morning? Are you pursuing the God who is genuine, authentic, the real one? Because, listen, not the one that we put in a box and we figured out. The one that's so beyond our comprehension. He's incomprehensible. And yet he makes enough known about himself so that you and I can put our faith and trust in him. And you see, our pursuit of him, our knowledge of him, shouldn't just expose and reveal to us the genuine God, who He is, but also it should produce genuineness in your life and my life. That's what Paul's going to speak about here in Romans chapter 8 as he gives some exhortations to the church and he tells them, listen, this is how you and I should live. This is what real faith should look like in your life and my life. Now he's going to say this, you can stand with me and honor the word of the Lord. I'm just going to read a verse here in Romans 12 and then flip over to chapter 13. And then walk through Paul's epistles and the rest of scripture here in a moment. But this is really simple. It's what verse we're supposed to be memorizing this week. Hopefully you memorized it. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Flip over to chapter 13 and look there in verses 8 through 10. Owe no one anything. Listen, you want to take care of your debts today? It's not just financial debts. you got a debt to the people seated around you, on the other side of the room around you, those outside the walls around you, all of them. Listen, wherever God's placed you, we owe them something. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled 
the law. Look down at verse 10. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Word of God, speak to us today. Spirit of God, apply this word in our hearts. Father in heaven, reveal yourself so that we may know we're pursuing the genuine God. The God who is real. The God who is true, authentic. And God, may our faith be real. Not just mere something that just merely comes out of our lips, but God, something that comes out of our lives. And that, God, it's evident, not just to you, not to those around us, but also it's evident to ourselves, this confirmation that we have experienced the one true God. And we give you all the glory and all the praise, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do I have real faith pursuing the real God in the real world? God is genuine. God is the real thing. When something is genuine, it's consistent with what it says it is. It's authentic. And if something is genuine, it has those qualities and those characteristics that verify, that validate its authenticity. We are pursuing, hopefully, the real God this morning. You and I are living our lives day by day, pursuing Him. When we think about the real God, that may be a study of His attributes, a study of who He is and what He's like. What is it that we attribute to Him? What is it that is revealed about Him? His quality, His characteristics, His essence. Now, there's the important thing, is we want to know what that is, and we want to have a, a sound source, the true source, that we know that what we're learning about Him reveals the genuine God. And we do, we find that in the Word of God. That's what we've been doing all year. When we're studying the, the God who is genuine and real, the real God, it may mean that, you know what, we're making the case for the existence of God, that God is real. He's really there. A lot of times this is apologetics, and this is when we make arguments for the existence of God. That's not so we can believe. It's really apologetics for those who don't believe, to, to remove the obstacles in their life so that they might choose to believe. Because your argument, my argument, that's not sufficient for faith. Faith comes by hearing, not my argument. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. And hearing God's self-revelation of Himself. Paul said that over in Romans chapter 10. So it's not just studying the real God as He has revealed Himself and His attributes that are described and detailed in Scripture. It's not just making the case for God so that someone who doesn't have faith can hear His Word and be open to receiving His Word. It may be actually studying God as He was real on this earth. When He really did put on flesh. When He really did come to this world in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus himself, you know, said that he was God. He said, I and the Father are one. And that means what Jesus said was, God is the real God. He's a genuine one, and I am too. I really am him. And we know that he was saying that and, 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 and declaring he was God because of the reaction of those Jews that were around him. They picked up stones. They were going to kill him because you're just a mere man. How can you claim to be God? But he was saying, I am the real one, the genuine one. And they understood his declaration of deity. And they were going to stone him for it. Again, he said it in John's gospel when he said, I tell you the truth before Abraham was, Yahweh, I am. Now we know that, that that's a reference back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. We studied that when we studied God's uh, existence, his self-existence. And that he always has been, will be, and he just is. 
He is Yahweh. Jesus declared that. And we know that their reaction then, they picked up stones again. They wanted to kill him because he had blasphemed God by making that statement, which no Jew would make. But Jesus not only claimed that he was God, the real one, the true God, the genuine God, but his followers even declared him to be such. I mean, John in his gospel, he said, you know, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. Not a God. The word was God. And that word took on flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, glory of the, uh, of the only begotten, of the Father. We, we beheld the truth. He really is God. In fact, John would say in his epistle over in 1 John chapters 1 through chapter 1 verses 1 through 4, "Hey, our eyes have seen, our hands have handled the word of life. We saw him, we touched him." John himself laid on his breast at the at the last supper. We we know he is real, authentic. He is the genuine one. In fact, Thomas who doubted and said, "Listen, I'm not going to believe that he's risen from the dead until I see him with my own eyes and and put my my hand in his side." And of course, we know there at the end of God, John's gospel when Thomas saw him in the upper room and and he said, "Hey Thomas, come here. Touch my hands. Look, here's my side." And Thomas said, "What? My Lord and my God. Jesus is the real thing." It was declared, not only he declared it, not only did his disciples declare it, but you see the resurrection proves he's the, the genuine God, the real God. Paul will say in Romans chapter 1, the very beginning of this epistle, over in verses 3 and 4, he makes the case in just two verses for the humanity and the deity of Christ. Jesus, born of the seed of David, he possessed humanity just like you and just like me. Uh, of the line of David, uh, uh, traced back through Mary. He put on this human flesh, just like you and me. And why? So that he could die for our sins and pay the penalty for our sins. And make the, the sacrifice that was required so that God can be both just and justifier of anyone who places their faith in him. He, he, he took care of the wrath of God for us. Praise the Lord for that this morning. Amen. But if he didn't put on that full flesh to identify with us, to be the substitute sacrifice for us, well, we have no hope. But he did. But it's the resurrection from the dead in chapter 1 verse 4 that proves he's the son of God. That, that he didn't just have mere words as a moral teacher. He didn't just have mere teachings to share. No, no, no. He really has power over life and death. And he demonstrates that by taking up his life and rising from the dead. So whatever he taught is pretty authoritative. And what he taught is he's God. He's fully God. And it's that resurrection that sets him apart and authenticates his claim to deity. Now, now, if we're studying about is God real, he is. And he really did come to this earth to save mankind. That's you, that's me, that's everyone watching online, listening on the radio. That's the world around us, the world that you're going to go into tomorrow when you go back to work. When you go to school. He came and put on this flesh to bring redemption. And he's the real God. So we're not making the case for that today. God has already made the case for that. But today we want to, well, as we would say, we want to keep it 100. Now, if you don't know what keep it 100 means, then, then Grandma, you need to ask your grandchild what that means when they come and ask you what a thimble means tonight. Okay? All right? Keeping it 100 means what? I'm keeping it real. I, I'm genuine. I'm, I'm 100%. I'm being 100% I'm being real with you right now. 
And God is 100% real with us. He's genuine. He really is who he says he is. And he's consistent with everything that he reveals about himself. So that you and I can put our faith in him. And our faith in him needs to be real. It needs to be genuine. And I need to live my life every day manifesting that I have received the genuine faith that's been passed down from generation to generation. But what does that look like? How do you know? How do I know that I have real faith in the real God? What, what does that look like that I haven't embraced a counterfeit? That I'm not worshiping the, the wrong God? What does genuine Christianity look like? I mean, this is scary. Stop and think about this. When Paul speaks to Timothy over in, first, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he warns him that in the end times, listen, there's going to be those that are going to be worshiping God or declaring they are. And they're going to have the form of godliness, but no power in it. It's not going to be genuine faith. It'll be a faith, but it will not be genuine, authentic Christianity. What, what does genuine, authentic Christianity look like? How do we listen? How do we flesh out the faith that says God put on flesh to die for us and rose again to save us who are in the flesh? How do we flesh that out? What, what does it look like? What are the marks? What's the, the supreme evidence to a world around us that's watching and saying, man, are you really Christians or not? How is it that we, listen, live our lives in such a way so the next generation doesn't turn away from the faith? 76% is one of the latest statistics says that 76% of students are going, growing up in the church and then leaving the church and never coming back. What, what needs to change within the church is not God. He isn't going to change. What needs to change is the reality that we're living out, fleshing out the faith authentically before them. And living in a way that brings glory and honor to Him. How do you see that though? What's the marks of that? What Jesus said over in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7. It's amazing what He said. How do you tell what type of tree you got? You look at what? You look at the fruit. The root has a shoot that bears fruit. And so what fruit do I see? What genuine fruit do I see? Because good fruit comes from a good tree. Bad fruit comes from a bad tree. I got four apple trees in my yard. They all produce a different type of apple when we're having a good season and the beetles haven't gotten to them. But they don't produce pears. They don't produce peaches. Those are good fruit though. Persimmons, well, anyways... Right? How do I know what type of tree I have? I look at its fruit. It's the same way in our walk of faith. How do I see that I have genuine faith? Here's more importantly. Not how do others see if I have genuine faith. When I look in the mirror of God's word and I look at my own heart and the light of God's word just speaks to me, does it expose me and does it reveal authentic faith? That I'm genuine and I'm worshiping the one true God. Because this word is a mirror. Now listen, don't come to church today and just look in the mirror and as James would say, walk away and forget what you saw. Right? Do you really see yourself in the light of who God is, the God who is light? Because that's what we should be looking for. Is my faith genuine? Is my faith genuine in the God who is real, is genuine? This isn't just about attending church this morning. This isn't just about doing something good for those who are in need. It isn't just about getting wet going through the baptistry. It's so much deeper than that. Now, some of those things are important, amen? 
but, but not if, if the heart's not right. And so here in Romans 12 and in chapter 13, Paul's laying out what you find in other passages of Scripture, not only in his epistles, but also in, in, in the other, Peter, also in 1 John, in, in other epistles as well. And it's really the measuring stick, Lord, so that we can determine, listen, is my faith genuine? Genuinely in the genuine God, the real God. And he has these exhortations. Now, there's 13 of them. We're not going to go through all 13 right here from verse 9 down through verse, um, verse uh, 14, 15, because of time. But really, you only have to do one, because it's the sum of them all. And it's the most important one. And what's fascinating, I'll show you here. I'll show you in Paul's epistle to Timothy over in 1 Timothy. You can find it in other places, in other epistles. This theme is woven together. It's truth and love. They go together. Truth should produce. If we really are truthful and authentic and genuine, then, then, and we really have experienced God's truth, it should change us and transform us. So much so that we now love the true God and we love those made in His image and we love authentically. I mean, that's what he says. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be authentic. Let love not be fake. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast what is good. You see, from chapter 1 through chapter 11, Paul lays out all the doctrine, all the solid, sound truth. Praise God. The, the truth that, listen, we're wretched sinners and we can't save ourselves. There's none righteous, no, not one. Chapters 1 through chapter 3. We're all desperate, y'all. We desperately need a Savior. We got no hope. No hope. If you think you're good enough, a good moral person, um, look in the mirror again. Right? And the thing that you point out in someone else's life, there's three fingers pointing back at you. You're guilty. In fact, we're so desperate, we desperately need a sufficient sacrifice. We need, because the wages of sin is death, someone has to pay that penalty. Praise God, he provided someone to pay that penalty for us. In fact, as you'll say over in chapter 5, God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So that you and I can be treated, justified, listen, just as if we never sinned. How? By faith. Like Father Abraham. Who repented and believed. And he, like you and I, he shows us. He's the model, the example for all of us of how we have to place our faith in God. And in his provision that he provides for our sin. It's great that we can be justified and treated now just as if we've never sinned. But we got to work that out. And that's sanctification. Chapter 6, chapter 7. As you see that worked out in your life. I mean, I want to see that my, my faith is real. And I'm, I really am genuinely justified before God? How is that? Well, that's something that takes place in my life as I'm being sanctified and, and surrendered and yielded to God. So much so that, that there's an assurance that I have in chapter 8 that, you know what, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And to know this too, that nothing, nothing can separate us from God's love for us in Christ Jesus. I can live my life with those two bookends of chapter 8, knowing that, that God's love is there always for me. Man, praise the Lord. Not just for me, Jew and Gentile, chapter 9, 10, 11. God's got a plan for this whole world so they can experience His love. And then he gets to chapter 12, and here we are, the shoe leather. So much so that we are exhorted by Him to present ourselves as living sacrifices. The worship that we offer isn't just what we sing, what we give, how we pray. 
how we obey God's word. The worship is really shoe leather throughout the whole week. Living sacrifices, dying daily to self, to, to find life in Him. So much so that when you experience that and you are, really are authentically one of His and you're authentically worshiping the genuine God, you know what happens? The Spirit of God comes and dwells with you and within me. And, and in verses 3 through 8, God gifts us for ministry so that we can serve within the body of Christ, ministering one to another for the sake of those seated around you today so that we might reach this world around us. And God's desire is, listen, those of us who would claim, yes, we authentically worship Him. God's Spirit dwells within us and we're, we're graced with these charismata, these grace gifts, in order that we might minister authentically. But, but, but just as He did over in 1 Corinthians, He's going to do this again right now, and I'll show you in just a moment. He, after talking about the spiritual gifts, He jumps right into these 13 exhortations. These aren't options. These are commands in so many ways for you and for me. And the first one is the same one you'll find over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 after he talks about the spiritual gifts there. He talks about the greatest gift. Well, here he says it this way. Let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, listen, what good is it to claim you know the truth, the genuine God, you know His truth, you know about Him, you know Him in a personal way. What good is it to be have been gifted by Him with spiritual gifts and then not love those around you? Whew. I mean, just imagine this. Why is this so important? Let love be without hypocrisy. This is the essence of Christian discipleship. This is what it's all about. If you claim today to know the God who is genuinely the one true God, and there is no other, then, then there should be genuineness in your life and my life. And that is demonstrated as we live in love with one another. And not only that, as we saw in chapter 13, verse 10, with others around us, our neighbor. It, it is the telling mark, it is the telling characteristic that our faith is real. Now stop and think about this for a moment. Did Jesus say that? How did Jesus say, hey, by this the world will know that, that you're mine? How? Not by how much we give, not by how much we, we minister to the community around us. Listen, by how much we love one another. That's the mark. That's the evidence. That's the testimony that should be evident in my life and your life. And it needs to be a genuine love. It needs to be God's kind of love. And it means a love that's evident. Love that's evident in such a way that, that I'm, not, I'm not a hypocrite. In other words... Jesus taught about this in the Sermon on the Mount over in Matthew chapter 6. There in Matthew chapter 6, he said, listen, don't you put on a little drama doing your worship, doing your religious activity. That you're like the Pharisees. Don't be like them. When you pray, when you give, when you fast, don't put on a show. It's easy to put on a show. We see that all around us in this world. It's easy to put on a veneer, Right? And we do it in our flesh sometimes. You can look, listen, within these walls, listen, you can look at a brother or sister at times and say, oh, I love you. But inside, you don't. Inside, your heart is hard, bitter, angry, mad, frustrated. That's something they may have done. Sorry, that's some shoe leather. That's, some t that's stomping on my toes, too. I've got to search my heart and make certain. Love and truth go along here. Let love be without hypocrisy. Don't put on a show even in church. There's only two dramas that are allowed in the church. 
And October 22nd, in two weeks, in the first service, we'll have both of them. One will be in the baptistry when we baptize uh, a young man, uh, someone who's placed their faith and trust in Christ. And a drama will unfold there where he will declare, Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And I've died to myself to find new life in Christ. That drama is important. A second drama, which we'll have that after, in, in, later in the service, is around this table right here. This is where we remind ourselves that a body was broken for us. That we are now covenant people of God. And in playing out that drama of the, Lord, of the Last Supper, what we are saying in the Lord's Supper, when he had it with his disciples, is we're remembering all the promises that he's given to us. That's the drama that's acceptable. This drama of playing like we love one another when something's not right in our heart is not acceptable. It's not right. Your profession is not matching up with really what's going on in your life. And, and Paul's saying, don't allow that to happen in your life. Now, don't sit here and go, well, that's for so-and-so this morning. No, the mirror of the Word of God is looking at you and looking at me. And it's reflecting, what do I see in my life? Because it's easy. To play church. So many have all throughout the ages. It's easy to go through the motions. Now let me show you how this plays out. Let love be without hypocrisy. Flip over with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1. I want to show you something. Because Paul is just consistent. The word of God just is consistent in this way. As, as you see this repeated over and over again. I'm just going to show you in Paul's epistle to Timothy who was there in Ephesus and was responsible to remain there while Paul went to Macedonia. He went over to Greece. He said, Timothy, you stay here and you make sure that nobody teaches false doctrine. That no one teaches another gospel, another doctrine. A doctrine of a different, a different kind. Because there's only one sacred faith. One genuine truth. And you're entrusted with it, Timothy. And what he says over there is really fascinating. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, you see it. What we were learning about let love be without hypocrisy. Watch this. Well, the purpose, verse 5, the purpose of the commandment, that is the instruction that we are giving to God's people. What's the purpose of all that? The purpose of the commandment is love. This is what the Word of God teaches. I mean, the law hangs on that. Amen? I mean, the law, all the law hangs on the, the commandment to love, to love God supremely, and to love those made in His image. Uh, those are the two tables, right? The two tablets are right there. You know, of, of loving God, don't making any idols of Him, watching your words, honoring His day, honoring your father and mother and the Lord, not killing one another, keeping your vows, not, not lying, not stealing, listen, and not coveting. The whole law summed up in this. Paul would say that in Galatians as well. The purpose, the end goal of the law, of our instruction, is that we will love. It's what Jesus said. It's what John would say over in 1 John, right? Listen, I'm not writing to you a new, command, a new commandment. It's the old commandment. It's just, it's the same commandment. And if you and I claim to say we love God whom, we learned last week, He's invisible, whom we have not seen, how can we make that claim if we don't love our brother or sister whom we do see? Is my faith genuine? Is it real? Am I being selfish with my love? Am I loving myself or am I loving as God would love? Not what's in it for me, but what's in it for the other person. Am I loving unconditionally? Praise God, He loved me unconditionally. I mean, we just saying, my sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Man, do you realize that today? I mean, maybe we need to lower our estimation of ourselves. Paul would say that in 1 Timothy chapter 
One, as we saw last week, with his own personal testimony. You know, it's a faithful statement worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am the foremost. As a pattern for others who might believe, they might see what God has done in me, and it might be evident in their lives as well. Now, it's fascinating. The goal, the purpose of this love, of, of our commandment, of our instruction, of the faith that we believe, is love. Now watch how this happens though. There's Something has to change. It needs to be love from a pure heart. You see, genuine love only happens when my heart's been changed. When it's been converted. Can I just be honest? I don't need the testimony of my bride and my children. Though they would affirm this as well. I, I don't have an, a, a pure heart in and of myself. I, I don't always have pure motives. I, I need my heart changed. You know why? Because I haven't always loved the right things. In fact, I've also often loved myself. I've, I've loved uh, substitutes. I've loved selfishly. That's why God had to change my heart. And that's why he's to change your heart as well. And this love that's produced from sound doctrine, it comes when our hearts have been changed, completely cleansed. And I don't, please don't say today, well, that's not me, preacher. Read Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 9 through 10. The heart is exceedingly wicked. Who can know it? It's deceptive. It will lie to you. It will tell you, oh, you look pretty good. Yeah, you're doing fine. Keep it up. And it will tell you just how good you are. It'll puff your head up. Yeah. God's word will pop that bubble, though. If I really hear him speak. You see, this love... That's the goal. It comes when I've been cleansed. When I love not just with a pure heart, but with a, with a good conscience. In other words, there's an inner awareness within me. Now, you know what? You're being real. Or you're being a fake. Now, you can fake the funk with others around you, but you can't fake God. Amen? Why try to? He says, look, this comes, this love comes from a pure heart, from a good conscience. And look what it is. Hey, it also comes from a, here it is sincere faith. Genuine love comes from genuine faith. Authentic faith. You see, that faith recognizes God is God and I'm not. It recognizes who Christ is and what He came to do in the flesh to die, to give His life for you and for me. And then on that cross, He redeemed us, He bought us, and He saved us. And then He rose from the dead and it's the power of His Spirit that dwells within me that can change my life. And I don't have to be the same way I once was. Praise God. The chains of sin broken. And now you say, Pastor Chris, I don't know that I can love those around me. You don't know how I've been hurt, whether it's in the church or outside of the church. I don't know how that's possible. I can't do it. Neither can I. That's why I die to self and find life in Christ. That's why God fills me with His Spirit. And His Spirit enables me to love those around me. By the way, what does Paul say over in Galatians chapter 5? What's the fruit of the Spirit? It starts with what? Love. Love. It starts right there. This is why love is supreme. It's the, the mark of authentic faith. That we're real. We're genuine. Now what's sad is what Paul would say here. Some stray from this. They turn aside from this to idle talk. And, and, and they want to be teachers, but they don't even understand what they're saying or what the things that they affirm. And, and Paul is warning Timothy, don't be like them. Don't even allow them to have any influence in the church. 
Because their idle talk, their, their discussions, while they open their mouths and they spew forth all this stuff like a fire hydrant, and, and they think that they're actually doing something beneficial, it doesn't edify, it doesn't build up. All it does is cause confusion. God's economy, the way God's work, as it says back in verse 4, it comes through faith. Faith in what? Not your opinion, not my opinion, not someone else's opinion, but in God's word. What God says. That's the economy. That's the way God works. That, that's what he wants in your life and my life. But that faith comes by hearing. Hearing what God has said. And it's hearing what God has said. The genuine God gives me the genuine truth about him and what he's like. So that I can know what I'm like and what I should be like. Transformed and renewed. Lies, false teaching, do not produce love. What they do is produce a lot of chatter. And that's human speculation. That's how it always works. And so you have to ask yourself a question this morning. Do I have real faith? Do I have authentic, genuine faith in the genuine God, the one who is true? If I do, then listen. Love is the basis for our salvation. Love is what God demonstrated to us. Praise the Lord this morning. If you realize this, that you've bent the knee and said, God, I'm a wretched sinner. And I realize you gave your son Jesus. You demonstrated your love towards me. That while I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. That God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe? Do you profess that with your lips? If you don't, you can do that this morning. If the Spirit of God has convicted you and you realize, you know what? I need to make that step of faith. I need to repent and I need to believe today. I need to trust in him. Then you can do that right now. Nothing hinders you from making that decision except for your will to do it. And it's available to you. God's spirit is reaching to you. You have heard truth this morning. And you need to respond to that truth. In fear, in faith, in obedience. But, but for those who have made that profession of faith. Love isn't just the basis for our salvation. That God has loved us in Christ Jesus. Love is at the forefront of the way I live. It's the way I think. It's the what, what I pursue. It's the goal. It's the telos as I look through a telescope. It's the end point. It's what I should be living for. That I should look in the word of God. I should see in the mirror. Listen, as I see myself, do I see God's love that's been poured into me. Willing to be poured back into others around me. Hey, listen, listen, man. That starts with our brides. Right? Ephesians 5. How are we to love her? As Christ loved the church. Gave himself for her. Sacrificially for our brides, our families. Leading them lovingly as, as one who's willing to die for them. To lead them in ways sacrificially for ourselves. Not just that, but parents even loving our children. Right? Loving them, not exasperating them. Leading them in the faith. They, by the way, they need to see that we're genuine. Owning when we're wrong. Oh my goodness. It would be so helpful to say, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior too. That's healthy in the parent-child relationship. But not just that. Do, do I love others in the body? I mean... Paul walks through chapters 12 and 13 of Romans, and he just goes through relationship after relationship, not just within the church. He talks about outside the church, how we relate to others, even our enemies, overcoming evil with good by love, right? By the way, how we relate to the government as well, especially when they aren't being God's agent like they ought to be. Whew. How we relate to one another and fulfilling the law. How? By love. Loving. You see, if I'm sitting in the pew today and I'm worshiping God, 
If I'm on the stage and I'm worshiping God, and yet my heart is harboring something within me, and I'm not willing to forgive and show mercy and show and love genuinely, authentically love my brother and sister, then something is wrong with me, not that other one. And I need to get that right. And I need to forgive and experience God's grace and mercy and share that and show that to those around us. There should be no room. I don't want any room in my heart, listen, for anything other than authentic love. Truth. Truth manifesting itself in love. And we have that responsibility. And see, what's at stake is a testimony of the God who has loved us. Because that's what this world is reading. They're not reading their Bibles. They're reading you and me. We're the epistles that are written by him now. As Paul would say, the poema. We're written for the world to read around us. And they read that all throughout the week. What are they reading? By the way, we, we treat our, our own family in our own home. How we treat one another in the household of faith. What do they see in us? See, this is why at the end of the service, the altar's open. So that we can come and say, you know what, God, I haven't gotten it right. And shame on us when we think, God, I got it all right. Because ain't one of us got it all right. But the question is, am I willing to be authentic and real with myself and with God? Hey, I heard you today. I got to fix this. And I'll do whatever it takes. Because you did whatever it took. Huh. To save us so that we could be free.